Chosen. As a young girl, I used to love to watch beauty pageants. What would it be like to be Miss America? Or maybe Miss Georgia? Or even Miss Turkey Festival? What would it be like to be chosen? You know, I've known several people who have won beauty pageants. And I've been in conversations, and sometimes when there's a new person in the crowd that may not be aware, I'll hear one of us speak up and say, you know, she was chosen. She won Miss So-and-so in the beauty pageant. Now, I was never under the illusion that beauty was only on the outside. And I certainly would not have felt comfortable prancing around in a swimsuit with everybody judging my body. That's not what it was about for me. That was not the fascination. But it was just the thought of being chosen. You know, as a kid, somehow I got in my mind that I would never be the chosen one. In my family, I was the eldest child. I was the responsible one. I did well in school. I acted like a mini mom when it was needed. And I just kind of felt a little steady, a little needed, but also kind of boring. Now my younger sister, on the other hand, she became a bright and shiny personality and she could tell stories that would mesmerize crowds. She still does today. But even as a small child, she had this amazing ability to just light up a room. And then my youngest sister, she was so pretty that people would literally stop us in the stores as we would go through as a family and comment on how beautiful her eyes were. I didn't feel like I could ever measure up to that. We had no brothers in our family, only the three girls. And the joke was that we were all supposed to be named Gregory Trent. But none of us were boys. My parents were so loving and they did so many great things for us and, and they didn't put these labels on us girls. But somehow in my own little mind, I just pieced together in my own childish lost logic that maybe I was not as special in my family. In my school, I was really bright, but it took me a little while to catch on to the school thing. I never went to kindergarten, so I started, started out just a notch behind the other kids who had already gone to kindergarten and, and learned their letters and some basic numbers and reading sorts of things. My mom did the best she could while we were at home, but I didn't have that focus time in kindergarten. And at the point where I landed in first grade, my family were northerners and we had settled in South Georgia to plant a church and so we were northerners in a very southern area so I didn't quite fit in in that way. And I wasn't Southern Baptist, which it seemed like everybody in my whole school seemed to be Southern Baptist except for one atheist, one Episcopal, one girl who was a Latter-day Saints, and me. And it seemed like in my own little mind that everybody else fitted in this big crowd and I was one of the ones who didn't fit in. And because of our religious convictions, we dressed very modestly and we didn't always go places that other people went. And a lot of times I felt ostracized and kids would tease me a lot for looking different, for acting different, for not going to the same places that everybody else went and made fun of me. But I'll never forget that day that I was chosen. It's emblazoned in my mind. It was in the fourth grade. We were just coming out of the lunchroom and a classmate came and told me that I was chosen by the boys in my class. I was chosen as the second most unpopular girl in the class, the one that none of the boys would ever like. It wasn't exactly the uh, chosen I had been hoping for. 
I didn't really have boyfriends growing up and I suppose on reflection it was because I was a very strong natured kid. I was a tomboy. I loved a good intellectual debate and would never back down from one. And quite honestly, that's not what most teenage boys were looking for in a girlfriend. So I wasn't really feeling very chosen in that area either. When it, when it came to my faith, I, I really wanted to be important to God. And I tried really, really hard. From a preschooler on, I was hungry for God. And I'm told that I don't really remember this too well. I have vague memories, but I'm told that even as a preschooler, I was the first one to go up to the front to pray when the preacher gave the altar call. And I'm told that sometimes I was so loud that I would actually compete with the preacher or volume because it was back in the days before every church had microphone systems and the preacher would be trying to give an impassioned plea for people to come to Jesus and here I was at the front at three and four years old oh Jesus forgive me of my sins I wanted to be pleasing to God I was in church a lot too because my dad was an evangelist when I was a kid and that means he went from church to church sometimes for a week or two at a time and we'd be in church every night and, and uh, he would preach to people that were in the church and preach to help to revive their spirits and to help them continue their commitment and also to help bring people to church that had never been to church. And we were in church a whole lot and I did a lot of praying that God would save my sin-sick four-year-old soul. I really wanted to earnestly follow all the rules and prove that I was acceptable to God so that God would choose me. You know, I used to make fun of my Baptist friends and by saying, well, it's, it's really nice that you've accepted Jesus, but, here's the kicker, has Jesus accepted you? I worked very hard to feel chosen, and I was so afraid, I can remember this even as a very young child, being afraid that Jesus would come back again, and maybe I would have had a bad thought that day that I had forgotten to repent of, and Jesus would come back, and I would be left behind, and, and, and I might suffer in hell for forever, and I wouldn't be one of the chosen ones, and I so desperately didn't want that to happen. I found myself even in the back of my childish mind trying to remember to repent a whole lot so that I wouldn't be left out. It was quite a time. You know, as we look at the lectionary scriptures for today, those of you who have been following Life Church know that during this season we're following the lectionary, and each time that we're um, going through the different um, weeks, there are different passages that you can choose from. And this week I was really drawn to the passage that I found in 1 Peter. Our series theme that we've been talking about for the past month or so is Resurrection Perspectives. And this passage today in 1 Peter reminds me that Peter may have also had a challenge in feeling chosen. You know, Peter is a fascinating character. Over and over in the scripture, we see him being this impulsive kind of guy who speaks first and then can't always carry through on everything that he says. In one of many, many scenes throughout the scriptures, we find Jesus walking on the water. And impulsively, Peter decides to step out and take a walk on the water with Jesus. And then he looks down and realizes he's on water, gets really freaked out and decides that, no, he shouldn't be walking on water and immediately starts sinking and Jesus has to reach down and rescue him. When Jesus picked Peter to be one of the final three to go with him to Gethsemane to pray as, as he was just about to go into the, his time of crucifixion and into the trial, he picked Peter to be with him as one of the three and we find Instead of Peter praying earnestly with Jesus, as Jesus had requested, Peter just falls asleep. In fact, when the group came to arrest Jesus just moments later, Peter thought he would get up and do something heroic and fight 
and he actually cut off the ear of one of the servants who came with the group to arrest Jesus. Jesus is in the middle of his darkest hour and he's must have been feeling a lot of emotions as someone who was supposed to love him so deeply was betraying him at that moment. But he had to step away from what he was doing. He had to take a moment and heal this guy and put his ear back on and then had to rebuke Peter of all people and say, don't do that. That's not what we're here about today. Peter was quite a character. Just before these scenes, as Jesus was talking to his disciples toward the end of his ministry here on earth, Jesus states that Peter's going to deny him. Peter says, no, no, not me, never, ever. I would never do such a thing. And yet, Jesus' words were true and Peter did just that. In fact, on the last denial that he made of Jesus, not once, not twice, but the third time he denied Jesus, he actually began to curse and swear at the crowd just so that they would be convinced that he was not a Jesus follower. You know, as we think about resurrection perspectives, I can only imagine Peter's relief and joy that his friend, the man he had followed Jesus, had actually come back alive again just as he said he would, and what relief he must have felt. But in my mind's eye, I can also imagine he might have had a sense of remorse and guilt. You know, as Jesus was appearing to the people, to the disciples afterwards and coming through walls, what a time of rejoicing and excitement that must have been for for the disciples on so many levels, but if it were me and I was Peter, I would be kind of hiding it a little bit at the back of the crowd saying, mm, I hope Jesus doesn't find out about what I did. I hope that somebody doesn't tell him that I actually denied him and I actually follow through on exactly what he said I would do. How much embarrassment would that be if he'd been thinking that way? I would always wonder when Jesus was gonna call me out and humiliate and embarrass me in front of everybody. I would wonder if Jesus was going to take back all of the good things that he'd been saying about me before that. Honestly, if it were me and I was in Peter's shoes, I would feel like an outcast. You know, we don't have time to go through all of the stories, but we do know that Jesus offered grace to Peter, and he never rescinded that grace. We know that after Jesus left this earth and, and left the work, the continuing work to all of the disciples to go out and change the world, Peter became the primary preacher on the day of Pentecost, which is what we call the birthday of the church. In fact, we're going to be celebrating that in just a few weeks. He was featured in a lot of stories in the book of Acts. And he was actually the first one to preach the good news to all the non-Jewish people, to tell them that Jesus had come not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. God used Peter in that way. He even became the head of the church at Jerusalem. You see, God chose him in spite of his faults and his failures and even this denial and this cursing that he had done. So as I read aloud some portions of today's passage from the lectionary, I'm reminded of what was going on in Peter's life just around the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. 1 Peter 2 verses 2 through 10 is the full passage. I'm going to be reading portions of that today. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual work milk sorry that you may be growing into salvation indeed you have tasted that the lord is good come to him a living stone though rejected by mortals yet chosen and precious in god's sight that was peter 
It wasn't just the bad guys, the Pharisees, the Romans, the Sadducees, all of those people who were hollering crucify him that rejected Jesus. It was actually Peter himself, the man writing this passage, that had rejected Jesus earlier in his life. This Jesus, who was chosen and precious in God's sight, rejected by mortals. This is Peter writing. Verse 6 goes on to say, For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Somehow over the course of time, Peter must have come to understand that Jesus did not come to shame him. In spite of all he'd done, Jesus had not come to shame him. You know, some people define guilt as what we have done, but shame is defined by some as who I am. God had not come to shame him. God has not come to shame us by to saying, you're a reject, you're no longer part of who I am, you're not part of my kingdom. The Bible says that whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And then verse nine says this, but you are a chosen race, there's our word again, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Peter is able to write this down in spite of all of his faults and all of his failures, which he probably knew even more acutely than anyone else. And in spite of all of our faults and failures, this scripture says not only to Peter, but says to us today that those who believe in Jesus Christ are chosen. What a powerful statement from this man who had so publicly rejected Christ. Even he was chosen. Peter's resurrection perspective is that God can choose you no matter where you've done, been, or no matter what you've done, he can choose you. You know, I'll never forget the time that I came to unequivocally accept the time that I too was chosen. In spite of the fact that I was a grown adult and I had married a wonderful man who didn't mind that I was strong, who didn't mind that I was a bit of a tomboy, who didn't mind that I didn't back down from a good debate, he seemed to embrace all of my differences. In spite of that, in spite of the fact that I had a good education, I had a great job, in spite of at that point in my life having a beautiful baby girl who filled my world with joy, I found myself at a low. I had made some decisions that were deeply disappointing to people who were really important to me. One of my ways of dealing with my insecurities over time had been trying to be so good that they wouldn't notice that maybe I really didn't feel so good inside. And so I tried to overcompensate by being as good as possible just to make sure that ever other people didn't see what was inside of me. I had a therapist one time that described this as my tendency to be best girl. If I can just do enough and achieve enough and, and be, be smart enough and, and, and active enough, maybe, maybe this best girl will fool everybody outside, but eh, I didn't always fool myself. And here I was, clearly not good enough for some people that were in my world. And in my own logic, I began to even question yet again if I was gonna be good enough for God. Back to the I may accept God but does God accept me? If other people weren't accepting me, how could God accept me? 
It, this may sound cheesy to some people, but I was deeply miserable inside. It was probably one of the biggest existential crises of my life during that whole season. In that state of mind and in my misery, I found myself sitting in a dark room. It was dark outside. My husband had gone to work. My baby girl was in bed. It was dark outside. All the lights in the house were dark. It was dark inside of my heart. The only light in the room was the light of a flickering television that I was sitting trying to watch and trying to ignore the fact that I was pretty miserable inside. As I was flipping channels on the TV, trying to find something to distract my spirit and to give me a moment's relief, I noticed a choir on the Christian television. Quite honestly, I didn't watch Christian television too much at that point. I was there's too much of a disconnect from God and just didn't jibe with me and how I was functioning at the time. But I happened to see this choir and I happened to know some of the people from the choir I was familiar with the church. So I decided to stop and watch for just a few minutes. And it's hard for me to express to you exactly what happened at that point. But they began to sing song after song that I knew and I was familiar with. And all of these songs were talking about the love of God and his grace that was flowing freely to me. I don't know what other people watching the broadcast that night were experiencing or were feeling, but God used that broadcast that night to speak into my heart. And I began to cry. At that point, I was in a lot of crisis, but I wasn't crying. I was holding it all in. But I began to cry, and I began to weep. And in that broken state, God began to speak into my spirit. And I felt his love in such a powerful way as it was just me and him sitting on that blue recliner, having an intensely spiritual moment. And as his love reached down to me, I was able to reach back to him. And I was able to experience his love in a more profound way than I had ever experienced before in all of my trying. And when I stepped out of that chair that night, I knew a couple of things. I knew that I was loved and that nothing could shake that. And for the first time, I knew that I was really chosen by him. I felt a lot of rejection in my years since then. It's been a lot of years since that happened. I felt that there were times that I didn't measure up to people's expectations. And sometimes, I really didn't measure up. It wasn't just my imagination. But at the bottom of all of that, one of the things that has been a steadying force in my life that's keeping me stable and secure is underneath all of that, whatever feelings may come as a result of that, I know that I am loved by God and that I am his chosen daughter and nothing can change that. The scripture talks about, Paul writes, that neither life nor death nor principalities angels, demons, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And in that encounter, that night in my living room, I had that moment where I knew for certain that no one could take away from me the fact that I was loved by God. Coming forward to today at Life Church, we can't be with each of you in person on this Mother's Day. I can't be at the back door with a basket in my hand giving you a gift this afternoon as you leave the church to express all of appreciation to all the women who mean so much to Life Church and who bring so much to beauty to our world. 
I can't be there to give you a hug or to tell you how awesome it is or to commiserate with you about how challenging this COVID thing has been for us and our world and our families and our responsibilities. But if I could give you just one gift today, I would give you this Jesus that I'm talking about. This Jesus who would say, no matter what your story is, no matter what you've done, no matter what your sense of shame is, come and follow me. I love you and I want you to be my chosen. He already made this decision on the cross that he would love the whole wide world and that includes you. The only thing standing between you and being chosen is for you to say, yes, I'm on board. Because Jesus already made that decision over 2,000 years ago. He's just waiting for you to say, yep, that's what I want for my life. And I'm gonna pray with us as we close today. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to accept the fact that he wants you and he has chosen you. But then I'm also gonna say another prayer. And that's for some others who are like me, who have become followers of Jesus. Some of you for many, many years even been followers of Jesus, but you haven't fully gotten past the hurt and the shame. There's part of you that wonders if you're still good enough for God. And even though you've heard it and the preachers have said it and you've sung about it and your head says, yes, I know this, but there may be parts of your heart that say, no, I don't really know it. Or I just have this little worry underneath all of this theology that I have in my head that maybe I'm not good enough, that maybe I'm not smart enough. You have this gut level feeling that this story isn't for you. I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm gonna pray that maybe like me, maybe you need a moment of personal revelation. And I'm going to pray that God will meet you and speak to you in a way that you can uniquely hear. You know, you may reach that moment here today while we're here in this broadcast, but it may be another time and another place. But God knows where you are and how you can best hear this message in your own heart if you need that moment of personal revelation from Him. This is a really the best gift that I could give you on this Mother's Day. This resurrection perspective that, like me, like Peter, you are chosen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, there are those out there who have never asked this Jesus into their life. Or maybe they did at one point, but they have stepped away from that decision and said, I want to go my own way. And so, Lord, I pray for each of them today that they would take this step of faith, and they would say, yes, Jesus, you have chosen me and I accept you into my life. I want this kind of love. And in this closing prayer, I pray that they, in whatever way that they can, whatever words that they would say, not my words, but their own words, they would say, yes, Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my heart today. And I pray that many people listening who had never taken that step or who knew to take it again, will take it right here, right now today. And Lord, I also pray. I pray for those that maybe have come to you, have been followers, some like me for many years, that still need to have this good news, this resurrection perspective, that you will come into their life and that you have chosen them. And no matter what their faults, no matter what their failures, that you are with them and that they are loved. And God, even through this broadcast, I hope that they will experience that love right now. And I hope they will experience your presence. And I ask you to do that very thing that 
I can't do with my words, but you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, I ask you to pursue them with this message. And whether it be meeting them at, at night in a dream or through a conversation they have or through a song or through a show or something, that you will reach out in a way that they can uniquely hear and know that they are chosen and that they are loved today. I can't do this with my words. I can't do this with my mind. But I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to do this. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And now as we close today, a lot of times we sing a more contemplative song after our, our messages that we do at Life Church. But today I've requested a specific song. And it says, it starts out this, you'll, you'll think about the words of the song as, as we think about the message today. I was buried beneath my shame. Who can carry that kind of weight? But I found you. Your love came through and I came out of that grave. Today I'm praying that many of you will come out of that grave and find a Jesus who loves you and who chooses you.